Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Connor Ankara. Well, it finally happened. Mm-hmm. For the first time since you were in sixth grade, I was a junior in high school. I believe that's what we were talking about right before we came on air. Tennessee takes down Alabama. What a wild, wild day it was to see the ball celebrate a victory against the Tide for the first time since 2006. That game ended, uh, what, like 15 hours ago? Recording this hit at 10 a.m. Sunday morning. And I think I am still buzzing from that game. I mean, just an instant classic. And even if Bama wins that game, I would still argue it's an instant classic. But because oh, yeah. of the scene that ensued, man, that was one of those pinch yourself college football moments that we'll be talking about for a long, long time. Connor, if you look outside right now from Orlando, you can see the goalposts start to travel down I-4. I, it's amazing. It's like the uh, the Oscar Mayer wiener truck, you know? Mm-hmm. If you see it, you, well, you're going to see it at some point. It's going to be making a tour around the U.S. I think they, what, they dumped it in the Tennessee River? Just, <laughs> just throw that sucker off. I mean, the scenes out of, out of Knoxville were bananas. I mean, second to none, and that's what makes this sport so great. Even if you were, I had people texting me, who hate Tennessee with a fiery passion. And they're watching that yesterday, just going this, this sport, you just, you can't, you, you just, you can't match that. You just absolutely cannot. The fact that you can just get that on a given Saturday and for all the talk, and we're going to get into a lot of the, the stuff about the game itself and all the games in the sec, because it was a great, great Saturday of football. Um, like for all the things that we talk about, like, I, I don't think that game in a 12-team playoff is suddenly diminished. I think you see the magnitude of that and what that means to Tennessee to finally get over that hump and to finally beat a team like Alabama. And it didn't matter that it wasn't for an SEC championship and a lot of things can happen. Just like having that day, I think Tennessee fans just, by, by the images that we saw, just wanted to live in that moment forever. And I can't mm-hmm. say that I blame them. Incredible. Just unbelievable. Yeah, there was a scene of like kind of like the final score graphic with like the stadium kind of like the whole stands were just on the field and you just heard Dixieland Delight playing in the oh background. Oh my gosh, what a And move. it was just a perfect scene. It's like, you know, I wonder if that song is now going to change owners. It might. It might. Yeah. The uh, the Josh Heupel post-game interview afterwards where he gets handed the box of cigars. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 you know, not being there, I didn't see just how smoky Neyland was I can only imagine though like could you imagine I how many over under six cigars that were actually confiscated at the gate <laughs> oh yeah under- no I'm sure <laughs> it's funny because it's one of those things that's like oh yeah I'm sure on the way it's like oh yeah whatever and afterward I'm sure the cops are like buddy if y'all got him in smoke him if you still got him yeah literally smoke him if you got him unless you had it in your mouth going into the stadium which yeah you know, I mean, it looked like a pretty liquored up place. Unless you literally had it in your mouth, that cigar was getting into that stadium and it mm-hmm. was going to be smoked at some point. Just unbelievable day. Um, we have a lot to get to. We have a ton to get to in addition to Bama and Tennessee. But before we do all of that, got to tell you about our friends at Texas Pete, as we always do. They are the presenting sponsor of the Saturday Down South podcast. They have the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their traditional 
barbecue sauce, which is brand new. You need to run. Do not walk. Grab yourself a bottle today. Visit texaspeat.com for recipes, hot apparel, plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That's all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Tennessee fans, if you're hungover, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and speak not at at, at very high at a very high volume. All right, I'm gonna try Thank not get you. too excited. We're gonna do our best. <laughs> We're gonna do our best. If you don't have a voice because you either screamed your face off and or you took maybe a few too many drags on the cigar, I'll talk for you. That's fine. Just 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 listen. If you're listening to this days after the fact because you lost your phone and you couldn't find it for several days until the dust finally settled on Rocky Top, which, look, we've all been there. It's happened to Mm -hmm. us. Okay. I hope you're doing well. I hope this finds you well. Up until the final knuckle puck kick went in from Chase McGrath, which that's what it was. I yelled knuckle puck at my TV while watching a football game. If that's not a child of the 90s, shout out Mighty Ducks. I don't know what is. Mm Mm-hmm. I was expecting Tennessee heartbreak. I was. I I found myself thinking Alabama's about to have another Mount Cody 2.0. Oh, man. Maybe an overtime game in which we come on these airwaves and we say the Vols have nothing to feel bad about. And instead, Tennessee has everything to feel good about. I mean, the, we know the, the streak, the 15 in a row, all that very well documented. But also first time since 2006 that Tennessee beat an AP top 10 team. First time since the post-Katrina game 2005 against LSU that Tennessee beat an AP top 5 team. Oh, by the way, most points scored against Alabama since 1907. The Teddy Ooh. Roosevelt administration. Will. The Teddy Roosevelt. Forward pass innovator, Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, my gosh. I just you You cannot describe... Just what that meant in terms of historical perspective. I mean, they even brought up Bear had the stat on college game day where he's talking about when was the last time that Tennessee won a matchup of AP top 10 teams at Neyland Stadium? And they're mm-hmm. like, well, surely that's happened, you know, like Spurrier, Fulmer, maybe, or, you know, maybe 2003, 2004, 1998, 1998 against Georgia. So it had that even hadn't even happened in the 21st century. And for Tennessee to get over those things, to finally beat an AP top five team, to finally beat an AP top 10 team, and to have it happen when you're undefeated, and to have it happen when it's against Alabama. I mean, they write movies off that stuff. They do. I mean, can we officially party like it's 1998 yet? Okay. <laughs> Glad you brought this up because we said in the pregame. We're going to try and be reasonable. And, and it's very difficult when you see 102,000 people flooding that field and it looks like this just poetic scene. Feels like 98, right? If you said it at least once yesterday, you weren't alone probably, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to what would have been the alternative. And if Tennessee, let's say that Will Reichert actually makes a kick and Chase McGrath um, his game tying attempt is blocked or something like that, or is fully blocked. They said it, was, it might've been tipped on that play. If that happens, Tennessee still would have been fine. And we would have been talking very much like a moral victory for, mm-hmm. for the balls. I think it feels so much different than 98. And here's what I mean by that. 98 was the team that came out of nowhere, obviously post Peyton Manning, T Barton, and a team that obviously gets the unbelievable fumble against Arkansas and a team that just, 
it's the epitome. Like when I close my eyes, I think team of destiny is Tennessee 98. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we can all agree on that. 2019 LSU team of destiny. No, just a juggernaut that could not be stopped. Right. When we talk team of destiny, it's like the team that's always just going to find that scrappy sort of way. And this Tennessee team and what they're doing, putting up half a hundred on that Alabama team, an Alabama team that is still, in my opinion, atop the college football world. When you've been to six of the last seven national championships, when you're the preseason number one, when you're undefeated, we get to say these things about you. There was not an Alabama standing in the way of Tennessee in 1998 because there's never been a program like Alabama until what we've seen in the last decade plus from Nick Saban during this streak in which they have won 15 consecutive games against Tennessee and that streak is no more. There has never been anything like this to get over that proverbial hump and Tennessee did that and that is why we are talking about this in a different sort of way. Now, the difference of course, we're in mid-October, right? We're going to we're going to talk about the long term implications of what Tennessee's upside is, because that changes when you beat Alabama. That's reality in this world, in the in the in the college football world that Nick Saban has helped create. Right. We can have that conversation. But feeling like 98 to me is, oh, we're just going to find a way to win a national championship no matter what. And when I'm telling Tennessee fans is it's okay if that doesn't happen because you had today and today will last you a very, very long time. And whatever. Whatever happens the rest of the season, even if it isn't a national championship, even if it isn't an SEC championship, you will still get today. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just feels like it's on a different level than the entire 1998 season. I'm not saying that that's better than the 1998 season. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that. But it's just going to feel differently, and you will talk about this differently moving forward. Did I explain that well enough? Yeah, I mean, to your point, that was a mid a Tennessee run. Like you said, Peyton Manning he just left. He was one of the greatest quarterbacks in SEC history. It was winning was expected at that point. Whereas after 15 straight, no matter what any coach tells you, no matter what, I'm sure all those pregame speeches from all those boys were great. Those teams didn't truly believe they could beat Alabama. And it was reflected in the final scores. And so to beat a trend like that, to beat, and to be honest, you know, I think it's gone on far enough to we could say Saban is pretty clearly better than Bear Bryant. And you could maybe compare that with Spurrier in the 90s. But to your point, there's been nothing like, all of these national titles and just year after year after year of dominance from Nick Saban. And so this has been the highest mountain to climb and they have climbed it from the lowest point, I would argue in program history, because you look up and down, you know, this rivalry and it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then Nick Saban. Yes. And to, to, to compare it to, to stuff that happened in the 20th century is difficult because the sport is so different now. And even, mm-hmm. even just the act of winning a national championship, I've talked about this before, about how when, you, when you're in a sport where you're going to play 15 games and you're going to have to win 14 of them, most likely. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to win 14 of them and you're going to have to win your final three games. If you're going to be coming from the SEC, your final three games are probably going to be against top five teams. Mm-hmm. Winning a national championship is different than it was in 1998. So we don't need to necessarily like say that, oh, Tennessee is now capable of doing this. But it just felt like, wow, you can now, you're no longer the butt of a joke for Tennessee. This isn't fake optimism anymore. Feels like Opium. 98 was a, yeah, very much so. There are no more hope merchants in Knoxville. <laughs> it's real. It's it's happening. This is what <laughs> This is what it looks like when it happens and when you finally have that aha moment. And so as for the actual game itself, 
let's think about a few of the dynamics here that that just speak to how impressive of a win this was. No Cedric Tillman in this game. No Jalen Cole in this mm-hmm. game. Jalen Hyatt, I think he just scored another touchdown by the time I finished the sentence. I mean, yeah. Randy Moss wishes he had a, a day as good as Jalen Hyatt's. I, f- five touchdown catches, 207 yards. Five of his six touchdown catches, five of his six catches went for six. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, they had the stat on SEC Network. First guy since Torrey Holt to have five Torrey Holt. Touchdowns. I was about to bring, we are on the same page because Torrey Holt had a long NFL career that he retired from like 10 years ago. Greatest show on <laughs> turf, NC State. Well, yep. uh, NC State wasn't the greatest show on turf, but uh, yeah, the Rams were. You get what I'm saying. And, yeah. and to do that against a top five team, and, and uh, it was, so what was the stat? It was like, 200 receiving yards and three touchdowns against an AP top five team or something like that. Yep. And, and it was and, like FSU back in like the Bowden days. Yeah. And, and Hyatt had five I mean, yep. like above and beyond. I mean, he was doing the Justin Jefferson thing where every single time he goes in the end zone, he throws up the three, throws up the four. Mm-hmm. Just unguardable. And then fittingly, I, and I thought the play that, in my opinion, kind of um, served as like a microcosm of Hendon Hooker's day was the 27 yard pass to Brew McCoy to set up the game-winning field goal. Mm-hmm. 15 seconds left. Alabama fans are frustrated that they didn't run the ball in those spots, which I get it to a certain extent. I'd rather put the ball in the hands of Bryce Young to be able to make a play. Obviously, you would have, in hindsight, loved to have been able to run down the clock, give the ball to Jameer Gibbs, see what he can do because the rushing attack has been so good. Totally get the frustration from that standpoint. But Tennessee getting the ball back with 15 seconds left, and Hooker's got to hang in that pocket. He knows he can't just take off with his legs. And that's such an underrated thing to to be able to recognize. That's why you like having a guy who's about to turn 25 as your starting quarterback. He can rent a car. He can. Legally. I barely can. That's a lie. I'm 32. We don't need to talk about that. He hangs in the pocket. Hands in his face. And he makes that throw to Brew McCoy, who has just been a godsend mm-hmm. from USC. And he makes that play in that spot. And you're just like, oh my gosh, it's happening. 27 yards in that spot. And I get it. Bama's trying to keep everything in front, especially after you've just been torched over to the top, basically like every single time Jalen Hyatt stepped on the field. I, I get why Bama was playing in that coverage, but just an unbelievable moment for Hen and Hooker too, because he put his trust in Josh Heupel, even though this was a guy who committed, we need to remember that he committed to Jeremy Pruitt. We can't forget mm-hmm. that. He commits to Jeremy Pruitt when he left Virginia Tech after his weird 2020 COVID year where he's got the heart condition and Hooker doesn't bail on Tennessee or the offense or the scheme when Joe Milton wins the starting job, which again, we're going to find out who killed JFK. We're going to find out why Joe Milton was Tennessee's starting quarterback. We're going to find these things out one day. We got to do an investigation. There are boots on the ground. <laughs> Hooker just, it, it, I, I just find myself struggling to find enough kind words to say about him because the guy is just everything you want at the quarterback position, toughness, uh, you know, grittiness, the ability to, to make plays with his arm and his legs. The fact that he trusts his receivers so much. We talk about that a lot mm-hmm. of the subject of trusting your receivers and what it looks like when it works and when scheme works. And when you have a guy that just believes in it and he is all of those things, I went back and I compared his performance to Burrow, to Cam, to Manziel, mm-hmm all of whom beat Alabama and root to the Heisman because that's the conversation we're having now. It is. Mm-hmm. If he's not number one in, in your in your Heisman odds, he's, he's darn close to it. He is. In this game, to have 441 total yards, five touchdowns, and his team put up 52 
points. And I get it. He didn't have necessarily the cam back. And we know the scheme and the surroundings are more favorable for Hooker than they were for Cam. Nobody's going to argue that. He didn't have the viral play that Manziel did. But if you remember the 20 to the 20 to nothing start that AM had and how stunning that was to do that against Alabama. Alabama allowed 21 points in the first quarter of this game. That was the first time they had allowed that many points in the first quarter since the Sugar Bowl at the end of the 2008 season. So before Alabama truly became Alabama, that's how good of a start this was. The offense that we said would score a touchdown against the 85 Bears on the opening drive. That's Hendon Hooker. And I know that he did not have the same, this game didn't necessarily have the same sort of late season magnitude of the LSU game in 2019 because that game happened in November and it essentially, it essentially felt like he locked up Burrow locked up the Heisman and he locked up the West for LSU. And that was like the last, the last beast to take down. And it felt like it was all downhill from there, mm-hmm. but hookers game belongs in that conversation. It oh just, yeah. Even though he had two turnovers, I like, it felt like we were watching something special with the way that he played that game, man, that is, I'm sorry. I hadn't thought about that. Like fumble until right now, that felt like a game breaking play. And they just came takes it the other way, all just, the way back. Oh, like in that, what that felt like, Oh gosh, no, not to, like classic Tennessee. And then dude just got back up on his horse and just took it to, you know what I'm saying? Like did not miss a beat. That's leadership right there, man. Bama overcame that 28 to 10 deficit. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, all right, you know, but that's, that's, I think what makes this impressive is the, is the fact that, you know, say what you want about some of those DPI calls. And I'm sure Bama fans are really upset about it. I'm sure there are Tennessee fans are really upset about it. And yeah, the officiating in that game, not great. Still have no idea how that hit on Bryce Young was not a late hit. Um, in the NFL, I'm pretty sure that guy would have just been thrown out of the league. I, I said, <laughs> we always talk about expectations. When this crew proved they couldn't get third down right, like when the dude just forgot to change the dial marker, I was we like, t- my expectations are the floor now, they're the basement. So. We had a 10 minute review for counting. <laughs> for counting on your fingers, Connor. This many now. <laughs> when So when we do like, because this game is going to be, you know, ESPN classic and stuff. And it'll be, you know, everybody's going to be, is going to have this, this game on YouTube. Let's all do us a, let's do us a favor to, to this game. And, and give it the, the 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 due that it deserves and just cut out that 10 minutes and whatever sort of rebroadcast thing is happening because I'd like to pretend that that didn't happen. And those 10 minutes of my life, I just get back because that was just maddening. We're reviewing counting, crying out loud. Um, but anyway, the fact that Hendon rallies back after Bama came back and you're thinking, all right, Bryce flipped the switch. Bama was able to. I thought Bama getting to half down one touchdown. Mm-hmm. I said, I said to Lauren, I'm like, you know, because she asked, what do you think Nick Saban says to his guys? And I'm, I'm like, I, I think he's actually somewhat pleased to only be down one score when they had so many different things go wrong. I mean, think about like the, 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 the play with the punt where. <laughs> I mean, where Robinson tries to recover it. He thought Kool-Aid McKinstry touched it and Saban just loses his freaking mind. I thought he was going to blow into smithereens on that play. And I mean, that was just like, you have all that go wrong, the defensive lapses and the secondary and all the different busts that they have. And I, I mean, for Bama to still be in that spot is a testament to, it's a testament to Bryce Young. It's a testament to this team. I mean, you just see he's, he's so 
far advanced in the way that he thinks. Even the touchdown where it's fourth and goal, Bama's down seven. This is the play that's going to get lost in that game where it looks like Bryce is going to run and then he brings the Tennessee linebackers up and then he hits he hits Cameron Latu in the end zone where like he's the only one who saw that play and saw that as a means to be able to get a guy open on fourth and goal in that mm-hmm. spot to try and tie the game on the road. But I mean, this that so to me, it makes Tennessee's victory that much more impressive that Bryce was a healthy and B the guy was playing at a Heisman level. No doubt about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. Doring was talking about it after he's like, can a guy have a Heisman moment and a losing game? Because (laughs) Bryce, Bryce, Bryce made a pretty good case for, I mean, the guy just sees the field in in such a different way. And he is, he is so special to watch. He and Jameer Gibbs. I mean, Jameer Gibbs had some cuts in this game. Dudes just get left in the dust. Tennessee, <laughs> good luck trying to tackle that guy. I mean, but the thing is, Alabama, once again, we've talked about this a lot, Will. They have played with fire. They've mm-hmm. played with fire, and they finally got burned. 17 penalties. That's a, that's a record. That's a Saban era record. I think it's an Alabama record overall, too, isn't it? If I'm not mistaken, it's definitely at least a Saban era record. Yeah, I'm about to say, I feel like I could remember a day if there were more than that, because Saban would have just lost half of his hair on the field if we're looking at that video again. I mean, they had seven penalties in the first 10 minutes of the game. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be one of these days for for Alabama. And you know, Bama has now played in seven true road games since the start of 2021. Mm-hmm. Five of seven decided by three points or less. That's just the expectation now. Bama has now played in 12 SEC games since the start of 2021. Mm-hmm. Nine of them were one score games in the fourth quarter. That's who this team is. And Bryce finally wasn't able to save the day. And maybe we're having it, we're definitely having a different conversation, of course, if Will Reichert's kick goes in, maybe overtime mm-hmm. happens, but that's not the way that it that it played out. And Tennessee fans are going to be, I I would think, probably just watching that on repeat for the next, I don't know, when's when's, when's ever going to be an okay time to stop? I just stopped watching the Cubs World Series 2016 highlight highlight reels, like, I don't know, a couple months ago. Oh, listen, yeah, we've talked about with me in 2019, like like the he said in Billy Madison, cherish it, (laughs) stay as long as you can. You beat Alabama, son. I want to go to high school. No, you don't want to play them again. They might win that one. Oh, gosh. Okay, so for the Bama side, real quick, and I want to talk a couple more things about Tennessee as well. Mm -hmm. I know we've gone long, but this game deserves it. Oh, yeah. I still think that Alabama's probably might pick to win the SEC, Um, (laughs) which sounds weird to say. I realize that sounds weird to say, but think about this. You don't have Georgia in the regular season. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this game is in the rearview mirror. You still got a couple of tough games coming up. Bryce is clearly healthy, which if he wasn't, and if he had looked bad in that game, if Bryce had looked bad and 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 Bama wins that game, are Bama fans actually a little bit more worried that he's not going to be able to return to health? I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I, I think that you're still relying on the guy who is better than anybody on the planet to overcoming that regular season loss. Saban's done that time and time mm-hmm. again. So I would still put my faith in him if I'm an Alabama fan. But this is a reminder of what we talked about in the preseason ad nauseum. There's a reason why just one preseason number one 
And the AP poll has won a national title in the last 17 years. And it was a flawed 2017 Alabama team who didn't even win its own division. It Mm -hmm. is really, really hard. And the discipline issues, that's the biggest thing that's got to be cleaned up. And if we get a rematch in the SEC championship, which I I can't remember who Henry Toto said that to, but he's like, we're going to see him again. I mean, the billing on that one. Incredible. That's the worst part about this too, right? Is like at least with with LSU, like they're in division, so you couldn't play them in the SEC title game, but you're kind of still waiting on them to maybe make the playoff. And it's like on our last podcast and figuring it out, we talked about that my mom would just kind of like there was this animatronic ghoul for Halloween to just release <laughs> in the neighborhood. And that's like Alabama because you get up 21 on them and you just watch them crawl towards you. And you're like, yep. no, no, stop, stop. And then you beat them. And for the rest of the season, you're just watching them crawl up the rankings. And you're like, no, not again. We don't want to play this. Time. How many times have they done that? Like, I mean, think 2014, think, I mean, 2015, that's the famous uh, dynasty is dead. Dan Wolken column, of course, mm-hmm. where they lost to Ole Miss again. I mean, that's what they do. So I don't think 11. <laughs> I didn't choose violence. That was you. I'll say it. That but yeah, you. Point, you know, I know exactly where you're at, Tennessee fans. You're going to be a biggest whoever is on Alabama's schedule fan for the rest of if if Alabama had, you know, Florida and Memphis and Georgia back to back, you'd be wearing Florida gear. You're just like, no, please. Well, and I think I mean there's there's a possibility with Tennessee that they could that they could beat Georgia and then lose to Bama and still make it to the college football playoff. That would have That's the very true. to be able to yeah. do that. So if they're getting to the SEC championship, they're they're beating Georgia and they're probably going to be unbeaten. Or alternatively, they're losing to Georgia, not getting to the SEC championship and not necessarily having that Bama rematch, at least not in that setting, could happen in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. So for Tennessee, I would rank them number one in the country. I would. At this yeah. point, I'd rank based on resume because yeah. we're at the halfway point of the season. If you're just doing this based on who you think would be favored, that's on you. That's whatever. Yeah. Tennessee has four wins against AP top 25 teams. Two of those games on the road. Mm-hmm. One of those one of those four games was Bama, which in my opinion, who's got a better win than that at this point? Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Ohio State doesn't have a win against a power five team with a winning record. So what are we doing here? <laughs> What are we doing if we're still saying that Ohio State is number one ahead of Tennessee? You can think, oh, I don't want to be too reactionary. I don't want to just react to one game. Tennessee's resume is darn good. It yeah. actually is. And the fact that they have, and I realize like, you know, Pitt hasn't, you know, been as good as we thought. Florida hasn't been as good as we thought. And and I, and obviously, you know, this this Alabama win is still going to hold up, though, in my opinion. And that's kind of what changes things. But mm-hmm. I mean, Michigan just got a nice win against Penn State, but that schedule is softer than Charmin so far. It's terrible. I mean, it's their non-conference schedule was an absolute joke. Tennessee mm-hmm. deserves to be number one. And again, we're recording this before the AP poll comes out. Um, but yeah, so I would I would put them there. I, and again, I don't want to overreact to this. I, we, we did talk about the feels like 98 thing, but it, it does feel, it, it just feels different. And mm-hmm. I think Josh Heupel, the, the fact that we're talking about, okay, so consider this. And nobody in their right mind would have thought this last year. Nobody in the right mind would have thought this last week, last last month. I, I don't care, however you want to say it. Josh Heupel is going into late October as the national coach of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hennon Hooker is, again, if he's not the Heisman Trophy favorite after beating Bama and having a game like that, he's darn close to it. 
Mm-hmm. And we're talking about why Tennessee should be the number one team in college football. This is the drunkest 2020 Tennessee message board fantasy come to life. Mm-hmm. That That's the only way to describe. There's no way. I don't, I would have loved to have seen what those odds would have been if Tennessee, and I'm not saying that they're going to finish that way. I'm mm-hmm. saying right now going into the latter half of a actual college football season, that's not being played by coach Doug's and NCAA 14. <laughs> This is Tennessee's reality. I was waiting how long it would take for us to get that reference, and you got it. Good job. <laughs> I know stuff. Anything else on Tennessee, Bam, before we move on to the other games? Yeah, a couple of things real quick. You know, this was the best-case scenario, you know, just for us as a college football viewing public in that – not that Bama lost. You know what I'm saying? To your point, it would have been a great game either way. But the fact that Bryce Young was so healthy, you know, he threw 52 passes. We talked about it in the pregame. I said 30 to 40, yeah. Yeah, like we talked about in the pregame how many good reps could he have, buddy. He had some great reps. Oh, um, I, I texted my stepbro before the game, and he was a Bama fan. He's like, oh, what do you – like, what do you think going to happen? I was like, oh, Bryce is healthy? Like, not like 2019 healthy, but healthy, healthy? I think you guys win. He was healthy, and they lost. And yeah. I think that if you're a Tennessee fan, that's the dream because it's not, you know, banged up Bryce Young. I mean, hey, Joe Milton got more snaps than uh, Milrow. Joe so. Milton, Hail Mary. I love it. I th- that's, that is Joe Milton's future profession. He needs to yes. get an NFL job, and he is going to be, hey, coach, we got a Hail Mary at the end of the half. I mean, Tim mm-hmm. Couch kind of kind of made some, some money doing a little bit of that, although he was starting quarterback as well. That is Joe Milton's future job right there hell very specialist yes that's that's his linkedin his profile not not quarterback hail mary Mm -hmm. specialist but yeah to your point you know it had been since 2016 that tennessee even beat a rival team um so i think that the fact that this has happened to your point before this we're yes before this year and yeah like it was florida and now it's you know they're breaking down all these barriers and this is a team that we talked about the McDonald's bags with Jeremy Pruitt. They hired the AD from UCF who brought in a, a past UCF coach. And people are on the SEC are like, you know, what is this team doing? Da, da, da. This game right here is an example of why you got to just go with the offensive mind, man. Because if you look at how easy that offense looked for Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt and how he was just scheming them open and they were running, they were going against air. And then on the other side of the ball, how Bill O'Brien is a, NFL offensive coordinator who is making Bryce Young drop the ball into these tight windows. And mind you, Bryce Young did not lose this game. Bryce Young played phenomenal. This game is not his fault at all. It was the Bama defense and the Tennessee offense, which I cannot credit enough. This is the best offense I've probably seen since 2019 LSU. I cannot credit this Tennessee team enough. But when you talk about what what makes this sustainable, it's the fact that Josh Heupel has that between the ears. That's not locked in some in some vault somewhere, it's not with an assistant coach like Joe Brady that can leave. That is what he has. And when you compare it to a solid offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien and how dynamic this offense has looked in all phases, running the ball, off play action, misdirection. And, and we talked about, you know, Bryce Young in all of these road games has looked like he's just pushing a boulder up a hill by himself. And it's like, I was joking with you about like, does this whole team hate him? Because he's out here just like, I mean, it's like LeBron in 07 with the Cavs and like all these. Comp. <laughs> like, it's like, wh- who is this dude that I'm throwing to? Like, Latu had the best game by an Alabama tight end since OJ Howard against Clemson. Yeah. And it's like, because these receivers just couldn't get up with. And great, the receivers had like a fine day and he hit like nine dudes. Like, the offense was awesome. I don't want to like stick on that, but I just want to say this is a full strength 
healthy, good Alabama game. Jameer Gibbs had 100 yards and three touchdowns. Like, this was, was not some fluke. This is beating full-strength Bama. And how – without any ridiculous, like, you know, oh, well, like this play – this is like a concise, boom, no excuses victory. And that's just what you hope for as a Tennessee fan. Yeah, there, there could end up be we'll, – we'll wait and see how this season plays out. This could end up being 2014 Ole Miss – but I don't think that's necessarily the case for this Tennessee team. Uh, when Ole Miss obviously beats Alabama, it's a Katy Perry game, and you feel like, oh my gosh, is Ole Miss gonna gonna win the SEC? This this felt a little bit different just because of of the history and because of the the fact that we're not talking about a program that like has the walls the walls caving in in the same way. I realized they have the NCAA, you know, the the Pruitt stuff and the way that that played out, but. It just it, it felt like a, a program that has finally arrived, and mm. it's it's been a long time, man. It has been a long time. Also, shout out to Alex Golish, who you know is considered is considered the primary play caller for Tennessee, even though this is Josh Heupel's system, and mm. he is the one that's kind of the one overseeing it. Just like we talked about Lane Kiffin and Charlie yeah. Weiss Jr. and the way that that dynamic is at Ole Miss, very similar dynamics at Tennessee. Unbelievable day. Hope Tennessee fans enjoy this week, enjoy this year, this life, all of those things. I just want to say really quick, because I got bold in the last game against Tennessee, I picked like changed my pick for Tennessee to beat Georgia, and I did before this. And I thought them beating Alabama was going to be harder than them beating Georgia. So Same. fill in your own blank there. Anyway. S- slight validation for a certain podcasts are going on. Uh, a lot of different <laughs> shows and saying Tennessee was going to beat Georgia. Eh, not so much. That's that. Oh, yeah. We still got a couple weeks, but – to make it interesting still take that for what it is yes okay lsu florida oh boy brian kelly one billy napier zero mm-hmm. florida hasn't won this game since year one of the damn mullen era how many days is that connor you know oh it's 1470 okay um i can't count that high so i wasn't going to be able to give you that number but i knew that you would have it mm-hmm. it's weird to think that they haven't won this game since the game i was at 2018 Mm-hmm. against uh, LSU Florida in the swamp, the kind of arrival of Florida under Dan Mullen. It felt like at that time to beat a top five LSU team. Mm-hmm. But this game was not that. <laughs> it was <laughs> not that. Credit LSU's offense because Jaden Daniels took whatever he wanted from Florida. Three scores throwing, three scores rushing. It felt like the players only meeting happened the other day and not before the Tennessee game. <laughs> it was a delayed release players only meeting. <laughs> it was. Eight of nine passing 173 yards on third down. That's your key stat of that game because how much he has defaulted to his legs in the first half of this year. Finally, he gets Kayshawn Booty going. Six catches, 115 yards oh, yeah. for a bit. It felt like old times. And then as soon as I texted you that, he dropped a pass. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, we're not totally out of the woods yet with seeing this guy play it. <laughs> An unreal level, but Brian Kelly said in the post game presser that he had an incredible week of practice, which was why Booty was named captain for this. And Kelly said, "Look, LSU's a different team when he plays like that." And mm-hmm. I agree. Consecutive weeks, at the very least, consecutive weeks after the players only meeting in which Booty has six catches. So, mm-hmm. considering the way that things started off and how frustrating it has been at times, I think that is a really, really good sign. But all those things went LSU's way, right? And Will, when LSU is up 42 to 21, mm-hmm. and then on Tom Petty night, won't back down. Mm-hmm. The swamp is just 
buzzing after this, even in a blowout. That's when you know a tradition is darn good, when it can kind of overcome the results. And it's like, and you know, like if you go to, if, if you see the way that Iowa or, you know, jump around at Wisconsin or something like that, and it's like, all right, we know we're getting our, ba- our brains beat in and this is pretty ugly, but when it's <laughs> still like that kind of electric, maybe it was because it was Tom Petty night as well, of course, but mm-hmm. first play after that. Anthony Richardson, 81 yards, got faster somehow at mm-hmm. the end of that run, which makes no he hit sense. the turbo boost. He hit that right trigger. That was a video game. That was a video game. That was when you run out of turbo in NFL Blitz, and then mm-hmm. you realize, oh, wait, I've got turbo saved up, and then you use it at the very end. And the tackling, um, not great. Not, not great. Not, not going to make any sort of uh, highlight reels out of that defensive, uh, whatever you want to call that. Uh, Florida looked like it was going to have a chance to get the ball back with the interception down 42 35. They mm-hmm. call roughing the passer on Dexter. LSU mm-hmm. stays in the field, kicks a field goal. That's kind of all she wrote. Did you think, even through LSU goggles, that that was the right call in that spot? The field goal? No, the the roughing the passer that that took the interception off the board. Um, I think we got to call it across the board. I mean, I think that, but that's one of those that you see it in the NFL all the time. And everyone gets mad about it. If I was the NFL, I would have had no complaints with it. You don't see it as often in college. But from the standpoint, that's what they're trying to take out of the game. So I get it. In that moment of that game, it was wild. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, because you see Bryce Young take that hit. And there's mm-hmm. no flag on that. And then mm-hmm. that hit happens. And then it's called. And you're kind of like, oh, man. And the fact that it, it took that result off the board. Because that, that could have been... A, a non-call and you could have said that he was in the act of throwing when it happened, but nonetheless, it, I mean, it, it's still called and it was mm-hmm. a really, really pivotal play. If the official swallows his whistle in that, I think we would have gotten overtime. I do because I think mm-hmm. Florida would have been, been able to come back right off that interception places, just rocking LSU's defense is probably a bit tired as well. And Florida, I think would have marched down the field, scored, tied it up, but that did not happen. Um, if you're a Florida fan, I'd, I'd say and if you're frustrated by that call, I'd say maybe go back to how bad your defense was against an LSU offense who had one game with more than 24 points against Power 5 competition before last night. I'm just saying because the Florida defense was, well, to borrow your word, it was sorry. Sorry. It was yep. very sorry. It was so bad that Ventro Miller got up on the bench and tried to rally the troops. Eddie <laughs> George said on the broadcast that the speech was so inspiring that the Florida fans behind him gave him a standing ovation when he finished. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to read some lips. There's some expletives in there, of course. That's to be expected when you're getting your teeth kicked in like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the problem, and this is very evident to anybody that watched Florida at all at any point this year, mm-hmm. they need like six more Ventro Millers. <laughs> They don't have them. They just, they, they don't, they just don't have the depth. They always, they always look gassed. They look like they were a step behind LSU. Mm-hmm. And that's why when LSU could just do whatever it wants and Florida's reacting instead of being on the aggressive against Jaden Daniels, knowing that LSU's had those offensive line issues and they just can't quite get there. I mean, think about this Florida defense, which I was very low on coming into the year. <laughs> you were right. Really low. And, and I think the results so far, I, I've been wrong about a lot of things, trust me. But I think the results so far have confirmed what we were talking about. 
allowed 26 points against Utah. They had the late pick in the end zone to be able to prevent that from being even worse. They mm-hmm. had 26 allowed against Kentucky. Yeah, seven of those was on the pick six. So maybe you don't count it for 26. But then 28 they allowed against USF. 38 they allowed against Tennessee. Not counting Eastern Washington because we don't talk about FCS teams here. They allowed mm-hmm. 17 against Mizzou and they actually played pretty well, but it's Mizzou. And then 45 mm-hmm. against LSU. Mm. That's not going to get it done. That's mm-hmm. not. That's too much pressure on that offense. And that offense is not built for that. It's just not. And it's it's almost like Arkansas and Florida are kind of living parallel lives a little bit. <laughs> and I see yeah. that. Like their style. And we're, we'll get to Arkansas. We're going to give KJ plenty of love because he was back and he was looking phenomenal. But yeah, Florida's Florida's got its issues. And LSU suddenly just looks like a really scary team to have to play if they have figured some things out. Though, quarter to quarter, game to game who mm-hmm. knows what you're gonna get from lsu you just never know like <laughs> lsu is yeah. like a box of chocolates connor oh man they, they really are and that's kind of what makes them fun to watch i told you going into this one mm-hmm. anthony richardson right he's not appointment viewing <laughs> you're, you you don't want to watch him for 60 minutes you're gonna get too mad but if he does something incredible you'll see it i promise you'll see it and <laughs> i wouldn't say that anthony richardson was cooking per se the, the touchdown pass when he throws that when he will be honest here when he throws mm-hmm. that touchdown pass to Justin Shorter, start off the game. You're mm-hmm. thinking to yourself, "Oh boy, good Anthony Richardson has entered the chat." No, really? <laughs> okay, brother. When you've survived last year, when you have survived the shoe game, <laughs> when you like, I it's funny because like all of that stuff to me as an LSU fan is narrative. Like whenever. The whole don't back down thing. They've been trying to make that a thing in this rivalry since it first happened in 2017 when the LSU band played over don't back down and also won. Um, me personally, that is a quarterback who's going to make those plays. Uh, he's going to have an 81-yard run. He's going to have that type of play. What Matt House did to make him play quarterback and how ineffective he was at doing that tonight is why that player will not scare me as long as Matt House is here. Mm. Because if you look at the exotic blitzes, you look at, you know, the times when he looked lost, the times when he had to stay in the pocket. We have a defensive coordinator who knows how to type that type of quarterback. And that's what I said in the pregame. And, and hey, I was wrong about LSU's offense. I'll tell you that. But when the brightest point in your game is an 81-yard touchdown run because your quarterback can't throw the ball when you're down three scores at home to a team you have not beaten in three years. Personally, I'm just not – I muted the game, put on Boosie Badass. That's his name. That's not a cuss word. I listened to the comments of the game because I knew what was going to happen. All right. And everybody else talking about it was talking about, oh, this is a big moment for Florida. They have wanted that don't back down thing to happen against LSU so many times. And each and every time it ends the same way. So for me personally, there were some things that he does well. But there are some things that I saw Jaden Daniels do in this game that once Jaden Daniels did those things, I said, well, Anthony Richardson is not going to win this game because he can't do those things. And on the road, when Jaden Daniels is converting – Nine to ten third downs. He's marching down the field. They can't tackle LSU. I'm sitting there going, okay, run at 81 yards. Run at 81 yards. Do that two more times and you'll be tied. And you're right to the point about the to the point about the rough in the passer. Hey, they also got a fumble that should have been a fumble on the final drive. Yeah, that, that play was <laughs> so, weird. I don't know how that's not, I don't know how that's not a like there there are certain yeah. things there where and I, I was reacting the same way that Brian Kelly did in that moment where I was like, wait a minute, how's his arm was going forward? It's, it's still, he hadn't, he hadn't, that's not like even the Brady tuck rule. I'm thinking to myself, that's surely that's a fumble. We can all look at this and agree that he had no control over that football. And that was knocked out of his arm. That's mm-hmm. 
that, that was a weird, weird no call, reverse call, whatever you want to call it. But to your point, this is a game at home where LSU fumbled a punt, basically in the red zone. Gosh, what's okay. wrong with Jack Bash, man? Dude, oh. fire by Empoleon. I don't know what he's coaching them boys up to do, but he's taken two of the surest-handed receivers and made him into the worst punt returners. But the stuff I was worried about from LSU, fumbling the punt, giving up a lead on the road, and thinking, you know, this is their time. And what happens? Stop Anthony Richardson. Stopped yep. Anthony Richardson. And Daniels came out there, and he was the better quarterback for four quarters. And so I know everybody was sitting there gripping onto their chairs going, this is going to be a Florida comeback. If, if if Anthony Richardson marched the ball down the field, which he failed to do in the subsequent drive, but if he had marched the ball down the field after that pick, and we have Jaden Daniels, and they have Anthony Richardson, their point. Guess who I'm going to take? <laughs> I'm going to just be honest with you, because there is too much press in this rivalry about these close games, about oh, seven of eight, one score games. Not enough press about this team being three and ten since Tebow graduated in this rivalry. Okay. So when I feel like that was a direct shot at me, Will, because I no, literally because, brought up the first no, stat. And not I, the listen, one. I understand people like to have their fun with this game, pretend this rivalry has been close. I understand. But when you look at the stats of this game, you look at it would take Florida being up two or three scores for me to go, yeah, I'm starting to get worried. Because at the end of the day, I've seen it. I've been sold sacks of smoke from Florida about Mullen, Muschamp, all these guys, and about how everything's going to be different. And we come out and our offense looks like I dream they would look for a quarter, yeah. and I'm going, well, if we're going to look like that, then they can't tackle us. That's the game. I, I agree. And I think that's <laughs> the most encouraging thing for, for LSU with this remaining schedule, which is still difficult. Um, LSU's remaining schedule, they host Ole Miss, then they got to buy, then home against Bama at Arkansas, UAB at AM. I think three and two is possible there. Two and three is probably more likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the Florida side, which that's that's a tough that's a tough pill to have to swallow because you're essentially you could be talking about going a month in between wins if you're not able to beat Georgia, which mm-hmm. I always worry about with a year one coach. I can't remember who the player was that had like the the post on social media afterwards where he's got the middle finger up and he's like, F this team, man. <laughs> That's not great. Worry about that with those We need to ban Instagram. We need to do like a geolocator in college football stadiums. And just, listen, whatever you post at the stadium, you could probably post afterward. But if you're in that locker room or on that sideline, don't post anything ever. Don't go live. It never goes well, honestly. Ever, yeah. Um, So, I mean, I I think Florida – what Florida showed is that, once again, it's not a good enough team to beat decent teams with mediocre effort, which I thought there was at mm-hmm. times uh, on the defensive side, especially in that one. And no Osiris Torrance in that game for Florida mm-hmm. didn't make or break it, but you felt like that was a key part of what they were trying to do. And it just, it, it hurt them in some of those key spots. But um, yeah, it's, I think both of these teams, seven, eight wins. Okay. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what it felt like watching them on Saturday. Okay. Wait, are we done? Sad. Did you? I, <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I just want to say, you know, really quick. Um, I, I've said in the preamble to this podcast, Billy Napier is on a great path, and we talked about Cormani McLean, which I have stuck a pin in for months. And I've said if they get Cormani McLean, that is a big deal. Number two it. player in the in the entire 2023 class, who is uh, considered a, a a likely pick to Florida. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't assume anything. Yes, but he was at that game. He learned in that game he could start tomorrow. Okay, so I would think that that would probably help his chance to go to Florida, honestly. But at the end of the day, I just want to say, 
these two coaches have been compared. And then the off season, we talked about it. everybody talking about Brian Kelly is not a cultural fit. Everybody talking about, you know, and, and I just want to say really quick, we've talked about this a little bit, but the way that the Auburn and Florida rosters have been discussed versus LSU, where it's like, everyone talks about Brian Kelly, leaving Brian Kelly, leaving Notre Dame and going to LSU. They must have this great roster. We have a roster who has lost all these people to the draft and has lost all these people to attrition. Guys have transferred. This roster is not that much better than Florida's. So I ju- and you've seen it in the Tennessee game and how Florida was able to compete with Tennessee and LSU was not. The offensive line is bad. There are many holes in this LSU team. So do not think. All I'm going to say is the story of this game is that LSU's roster is way better than Florida's. No, I, went, I don't think that's the case. No, I don't think you're saying – I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking – because I know we've had great conversations about this. These are both year one coaches dealing with a rebuild. This is going to be a great rivalry. But all I'm saying is – let what do they always say? Let the apologies be as less respect was about these two coaches. Because the whole offseason, it was should have hired Billy here. And you saw in this game, right now, this is a better coach team. On They won this game on a fourth down call. From Mike Denbrock. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I'm, these are two unranked teams. This game doesn't mean anything. But I think Florida is in a great position to come up. The East is looking scary. You got Josh Heupel. You got Kirby Smart. Not that the West is any better. I understand that. But for, for the first year, this has been a, an incredible rivalry to watch. And I'm really excited to see more. I hope we get these teams playing as top 10 teams sometime oh, yes. in, the, in the near future. And I think we will. I think mm-hmm. we will. It'll just take a little bit of time. Okay. Auburn. Ole Miss. This is a great narrative game. You know, we mm-hmm. love narratives, Will. Mm-hmm. If you put your mind to it, you can push whatever narrative you want based on the results of this game. And I'm going to do oh, it. Yes. I'm going to show you exactly why that's the case. If you are an optimistic Auburn fan, you can push the narrative that your team is close and the fact that Robbie Ashford responded so well to his early benching and Tank Bigsby actually had running lanes is a sign that maybe, just maybe, Brian Harson's team isn't a total dumpster fire. If you're a pessimistic Auburn fan, you can push the narrative that Harson is never going to have a chance because his depth in the trenches is so bad. And as much as he loves to talk about execution, you also allowed 448 rushing yards because you don't have enough guys that can get off blocks and make tackles in space. If you're an optimistic Ole Miss fan, you can push the narrative that Lane is incredible at adjusting to his personnel and running the ball like that to clinch the program's first 7-0 start since 1962 is just another sign that Ole Miss has yet to reach its ceiling. If you're a pessimistic Ole Miss fan, you can push the narrative that an Auburn team who was 1-7 in in its last eight games against Power 5 competition with one game hitting seven second-half points shouldn't. That team probably shouldn't have been able to run for 300 yards against the Ole Miss defense, and they had a little bit too much of that second-half Tulsa vibes to it. So it's a narrative game. Whatever you want. I just gave you all of them. Whatever agenda you need to push to make yourself feel better, it's there. It is absolutely there. Ultimate spin zone type of game. My biggest takeaway from this, Auburn's offense still gives a crap. And that's good. That's good. I tweeted out the clip of Ashford and Tank getting into it right after Auburn scored to make it 21-7. to And that was when they they, they were punched in the mouth and beginning down 21 to nothing and they score and you see that clip and Robbie's, Robbie's talking about like, why does it matter who scored the touchdown? You know, trust me, don't give up on me. And did I think that was a great look for Auburn? No. Um, Does that stuff happen a decent amount over the course of a college football Saturday? Sure. But if we're just going to pretend, oh, yeah, that's no big deal, I think we need at least some sort of context with this. When you're the team that's struggling so much, that comes off as even when things are going well, we're still not happy. 
And that, that to me was more of the frustration. And of course we play the results afterwards and it's like, well, Auburn cares. And this is why those guys are getting into it. When again, you could spin that any sort of way that you want to fit your narrative, which I had a lot of Auburn beat reporters quote tweeting my video doing that being like, oh my God, you're overreacting to this just because you said the word yikes. I'm like, okay, so you want, you think Brian Harson wants his quarterback and his best player getting into a shouting match on the sideline that gets caught on ESPN cameras? You think he wants that? Sounds awesome. Sounds ideal to me. No further questions. Cool. Sign me up. Yeah, I get it. Like, <laughs> but it, but if your narrative is that it's just passion, then you you can push that. That's fine. Again, it's there. It's sitting there for you. Um, Auburn with with Harson. We've talked about how frustrating it is, but Harson talked about how he wants his team to have more fun because he looks across that sideline. He sees the fun that old Miss is having. Mm-hmm. I don't have enough time on this podcast, Will, to explain why Brian Harson's vibes will never yield Lane Kiffin's vibes. <laughs> they just won't, okay? And, and I'm not trying to be a hater. I'm really not. Fun is also the byproduct of scoring points and winning games. Yeah. Lane is 17-2 and two in the regular season since the start of 2021. Of course they're having fun. Why wouldn't they have fun? They get schemed open all the time. Mm-hmm. They get these run concepts where they're like, oh, yeah, um, Quinchon Judkins isn't going to be touched for like 15 yards. You think Tink Bigsby likes getting the football and realizing he's got a 320-pound defensive tackle in his face and he needs to somehow escape him just to get back to the line of scrimmage? You think he's going to have fun doing that? No. Why would he? Come on. Like, you can't just snap your fingers and have fun. Like, I'll mm-hmm. give Auburn credit, though. I, I absolutely will, because I did find myself being very impressed with their fight. We have criticized the lack of second-half adjustments that they have made during this skid under Brian Harson, And I think Robbie Ashford, in flashes, has shown some things that make you think, all right, you might have something here. You might. His lows are still going to be really bad, and he still treats it like it's an individual sport with how he, he how heated he gets mm-hmm. on the sideline, and he's slamming the phone after he gets bent. Like, all these different things where you're just like, okay, th- those that's the bad. That's the bad. But there's also some good. There is at least some good, and that's why he was put into that game instead of TJ Finley staying in that game after he couldn't even hold on to the football after he was randomly thrown in there, which I can't even imagine what was going through TJ Finley's mind during that. <laughs> right? Who would have thought, we have turnover issues. Let's throw in TJ Finley, who is like, one touchdown, four picks, and he promptly comes in and turns the ball over. Yeah, like we 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 rip on Jalen Milrow for not having two hands on the football in the pocket, and then TJ Finley comes out there for one possession, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy who's in year three in the SEC is still making mistakes like that. That's why he's mm-hmm. not your starter at this point. I, I think I think Harson would need to go four and one with an Alabama win to save his job. I think that oh, you asked you asked the question of the game. That's what we're talking Alabama, he's safe, right? I mean, that's four and one with Alabama win. The problem is that he could be fired before that. Oh, good point. So, so you have a... to win the games to keep your job to then play. A... That actually makes a lot of sense. Okay. Exactly. And they, they could do the thing where, again, teams do this now where they're like, I don't want to beat Alabama and then have the vibes be good and then have a less miles oh, carrying man. them off the field. Type. <laughs> <laughs> you know what happens, Joe Oliva. Yeah. That, all right. Like you, so you don't want to have to to deal with a situation like that. The remaining schedule for Auburn home against Arkansas. You're at Mississippi state. You've got home against AM, home against Western Kentucky, and then at Alabama. It's Auburn winning three of those games to get the bowl eligible. Not likely. I wouldn't say. Mm. 
I don't know. I don't know. Um, probably not. You do have the three games at home, which, I mean, it's hard to really know what to expect from AM moving forward, other yeah. than like, or how I, I shouldn't say what to expect from AM, what odds makers are going to expect from them. Um, and if this was a turn the corner moment for Auburn, then who knows? Maybe we're going to be talking about Auburn actually being favored against AM. I don't think that's ridiculous given the quarterback issues that they've had on offense. And I still worry a little bit about the durability of Devon A. Chain with how much attention is focused on him and the workload that he needs to get for them to actually do anything on offense. But my point is Auburn's going to have to dig deep just to get bowl eligible. That's, mm-hmm. that's where we're at with a team who's three and four, wherein you actually came away from the day feeling like, okay, that, that was all right. Mm-hmm. And you still lost by 14 points to a team that's not supposed to have as much talent as you, but is in the top 10 and is undefeated. You know, like that's, so again, it's a narrative game. You can play whatever you want. You absolutely can. One last thing on Ole Miss. We've talked about this. We, we talk about this every single Saturday. <laughs> we text throughout, throughout an Ole Miss game. I have finally figured out how Lane feels about Jackson Dart throwing the football. Lane is the older sibling who is trying to hang out with his friends and his younger brother is tagging along because the parents are out of town or something, right? As the younger brother, I get it. It's basically babysitting. Okay. Lane is just trying to go to the mall and meet up with his friends. He's like, Jackson, just don't say anything. Do not embarrass me. Don't force late throws over the middle. Don't lock in on your first read. Don't assume that I schemed your wide receiver with three steps of separation to be able to be open for you. Just read the defensive end, mm-hmm. read the safety, and do what I tell you, which is basically like the older brother saying, don't talk to any of my friends. Here's a juice box. Here's an iPad. Leave me alone. That's what that's how Lane treats this. Jackson Dart had nine completions in this game. Vandy, who is basically like a wet paper towel as its pass defense, mm-hmm. is the only team that Dart has completed 20 passes against this year. Lane is trying to develop him, and he's not just totally ignoring him in the corner and telling him, Don't talk to my friends. He's trying to like talk to him and you know, they'll talk like, the hey, like, home. come on, come on out, talk to the boys. And he's like, dude, this D&D campaign I'm on. He's, no, don't talk about D&D. These guys are cool. No, stop it. Can't do that anymore. Not here. But you're like, Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. You've got three guys draped around your receiver in the end zone. And he's the only one that you looked at. And you still said, yep, that's my guy. There he is right there. It's great that Jackson Dart can run the RPOs and pull it because if he couldn't do that, Lane would have him out of there. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. Like that, so that that's a very pessimist. Again, if you want that narrative, it's there. I just gave it to you. <laughs> Nonetheless, though, LSU, they're at LSU and at AM before the bye. Will, do you think they win both of those and start off as a top four team in the playoff rankings? I mean, honestly. Gosh, that LSU game is going to be so interesting because it would. I, I have zero trust in this coaching staff to put together a good offensive game plan, especially against that that defense. But you would hope. I don't. Gosh, man. I honestly, taking my fandom out of it, I would think so and almost be rooting for it because this is like this is a fun little Ole Miss team. This they can they can mix some stuff up, man. I love watching them run the football. I mean, it's yeah. it's great. It, it really is. Like they, they have three different guys have a hundred rushing yards. And then you see the clip afterwards. It's like not one one hundred yard rusher, not two. Three and then they all freak out. I'm like, did you guys not see the box score? Did you guys not know this? <laughs> and I know, like, like sacks. They're also counted in this, but they had 69 carries in this game. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that look, that's, that's who they are. And I get why Dan Orlovsky is sitting up there talking about balance because from a production standpoint, I guess they're having the same sort of output, but I, I will not use the word balance to describe this old Miss team. They're a modern day service Academy. That's what they are. They're going to run at you. They have no problem doing that. That is, that is their game. That's their MO run defense. Probably needs some work. Probably needs some work. AJ Finley, by the way, that pick that he had. Oh my gosh. He's having a, an unbelievable year. He's a guy that needs to be in the all SEC conversation. He and I, I feel like he and Emmanuel Forbes, I'm just going to keep banging the drum for them of like, instead of just defaulting to whatever Georgia or Alabama defensive back that people are going to put as their all SEC guy at the end mm-hmm. of the season, I'm going to be like, give, give me those two guys. All right. They, they are playing at the level that you would want them to play at maybe even at an all America type level so far. Um, but yeah, I, I still think Ole Miss at least has an identity and that's a good thing to have at this point, especially when you're undefeated and in the top 10. Some would say it's recommended. Um, yeah. I, I, just, I just want to say a quick note on this man. Tank Bigsby is him. He has always been him. This is a good Great example of this. Tank, by the way. You're oh, right. my goodness. I mean, it's just to your point about like he's facing all these boxes and they know that it's either going to be him running the ball or Ashford running the ball. And he, the fact that he was able to rip off, you know, two tutties, 180, like we always joke about people's futures, not joke, but we always talk about people's futures and how like these college systems could be kind of holding them back. For Tank, you can kind of hold that up on a pedestal against like for NFL guys and be like, look, see, this is what happens when I can kind of get like an inch of space. Um, yeah. And then on the other end, I was just want to say Lane Kiffin has got to be like, I would say my funniest coaches to watch be angry. Like, again, objectively, I think Brian Kelly is number two because watching his face get red yeah. when he starts to get angry is so funny. Like, he looks so – it's like – it's so hard to root for Brian Kelly, bro, because you literally want to want to watch him be angry. But Lane Kiffin is easily number one. The yoga he, pose? What he did, that? like, a handstand on his head and <laughs> kicked the air when he watched Jackson Dart throw a pass that he could have thrown for a touchdown. He was just like, son, what are you doing out there? I was like, is, is Lane twerking out of anger right now? What is he doing? It's different to be him and be like a you know, former quarterback guy that screw up, you know, his dad and yeah. all these meeting rooms. And like, he is a football savant. Like he's a genius. And to watch guys literally miss throws that he could make in his sleep and be like, please brother i'm making this so simple for you and like you got to kind of feel for jackson dart too this is a very quarterback friendly system i know that he's definitely like to to be blamed we've seen lots of quarterbacks this season the system but it's got to be so hard to choose this place and then be the situation where your your coach is just scared to have you throw the ball like nine completions for three touchdowns is so funny that's (laughs) that's tough how about that onside kick that lane called too in that spot Uh uh-huh might have been the key play of the entire game to, to pull that off in that spot to recognize Auburn had that guy like 15 yards back and to be mm-hmm. able to take advantage of that that's like see that's I mean that that stuff is coaching that's not that's not talent that's 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 scouting that's that's having your guys prepared and Ole Miss if you want to talk about having fun and plays like that are fun and that that got that team I felt like back in that game after Auburn mounted a really impressive comeback and did mm-hmm. something that Quite frankly, I didn't think that they had in them, but they they absolutely did. And I, whether or not that matters for Brian Harson's future, I don't know about that. I just don't. Not at this point. You you made that point about the onside kick. Absolutely right. We've talked about Lane being from the generation of college football coach who played in CW14, the video game. Yes. And it's like he is like apex. Like you get angry, you're like, whatever, I'm going to onside it. it it's going to work. And it works. And it's just like it's so cool to watch. Like you've watched, you know, 
yeah, 15 years of data of SEC like football coaching, how things are supposed to go. And Lane just does not care. He's just like, whatever, I'm going to do this my way. I, I put him, I put Hypo. I think Billy's like that too. Guys that are just completely breaking the mold and just doing, doing new things where it's like, this is the most fun I think SEC coaches have ever been. And I was there for obviously the 2010s when they had Spurrier and Rick and all those guys. This is awesome, man. Yeah. And I got preemptively angry waiting for Gary to say on the broadcast, even though it wasn't Gary, I realized that waiting for Gary to be like, <laughs> did that get 10 yards on the onside kick? And that oh, was yeah. a little, at least a little bit closer than the one last week, whenever that was. But um, yeah, no, we, thankfully we didn't have to deal with that. Amazing call though. In that spot. Nice win for Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Great place to be seven and oh man. Seven and Wait, could be I would just love to address that. We both call every bad announcer, Gary. I love that. It's like, all right, Gary. <laughs> It's like it's like a Karen, just a bad. Yeah, exactly. Gary. If you said something ridiculous, <laughs> if you're over focused at one point, Gary, say on balance line. It's Gary move. All right, let's go to Mississippi State, Kentucky. Battle of ranked teams, huge, huge bounce back game for Kentucky in, in every way. It felt like a bounce back game. You bounce back from two consecutive frustrating losses, huge to avoid that third consecutive loss, especially a night after Big Blue Madness. Very important there. All right. Those dynamics. Yeah. Can't can't underestimate how much that can potentially swing things. I'm gonna give Will Levis some love for a second here because Saturday night mm-hmm. was the exact reason he's gonna go down as one of the most popular players this program has ever had. And not just because he puts mayo in his coffee. All right. It's beyond yeah. that. It's just so beyond that. that. Yeah, despite that, if anything. You know that he's coming off the turf toe. I can't imagine the finger is feeling great. And we, we know that he's been getting hit a ton this year. So I'm just going to assume that he's had some rib issues at some point or another. <laughs> Early in the third quarter, he takes a shot and he lands very awkwardly on his left shoulder right after he delivers this throw. And at first, it looks like he's going to tough it out. But he very quickly realizes the pain is too much, even for me, which if you've watched the way that that guy usually bounces up after tough hits, you know that's saying something if he can't just grit his teeth and be able to play through that. So he goes along. of Aaron Judge just teeing off on our ribs with a baseball bat, basically, is the pain, yeah. the pain he was feeling. Yeah, I, I imagine it was not great. And there have been probably a lot of things that he can he can be able to play through. That was clearly not one of them. So he goes to the locker room. It shows mom in the stands kind of distraught. And you're thinking, man, Kentucky is about to lose their captain, maybe lose this game because we know how that played out last week with Kaya Sharon and how they, how they just kind of lacked any sort of threat of a passing game. Levis is the guy who has a ton of money. He has a ton of money to lose if he goes into the pre-draft process with a serious injury. And that's, that's what's worth remembering with the way that he plays the game. Mm-hmm. He gets back out there and he's back in by the middle of the third quarter. Misses a, misses a few minutes of action. I think he missed like five or six minutes of action, something like that. He comes in, he leads the touchdown drive. And whatever sort of mojo or uncertainty that Kentucky lost, the air that kind of leaves the building, it was back because Levis was like, no, I'm, I'm going to come back in. I'm going to lead this team. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is why, if you don't understand why people are so defensive of Will Levis and why people fall in love with this kid, it's stuff mm-hmm. like that. That matters. You're not going to see that in the box score. Even if you think he's getting overhyped and that his numbers don't necessarily translate to automatic NFL success, 
you watch him in those moments and you realize how self-aware he is and how much that guy cares and why you can build a team. I don't know that you're going to build an NFL Super Bowl champion out of like surrounding Will Levis. I'm not sitting here and saying that, but you can build a team at this level, no doubt about it, around Will Levis. And they have mm-hmm. a good one. They have a very good team. But I think that more than anything else in this game, you're reminded, Chris Rodriguez, that dude. 100%. His, we talked about it last week. And I mean, even the week before against Old Miss, he, he can just totally bust open a game like he did against Mississippi State, which Mississippi State was probably sick of being on the field, probably sick of having to tackle that guy because he just, I think his conditioning to me is, is really impressive to be at this stage where he just he never leaves the field anymore. And that was the question with him a little bit earlier in his career is, oh, yeah, you know, 2019, he runs so hard. But what's it going to look like when he actually gets full starters reps and stuff like that? And even 2020, you kind of questioned that. And that guy just keeps going and keeps pushing the pile constantly. And he's so important for what they want to do. And you see the difference when he and Levis are both on the field at the same time and they're healthy. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State was on the field that defense was on the field way too much in this game because don't you know it, Brad White, Kentucky defense coordinator, Mark Stoops, they didn't run it back with last year's game plan against Will Rogers because yeah. why would you do that? They, they disguised looks all night. It wasn't just, hey, we're going to line up three down linemen. We're going to drop eight in coverage. We're going to react to what the offense is doing. Rogers struggled. He could not get through his reads. He looked just very perplexed all night. And a guy who has looked – for the majority of this year has looked like he could just pull out a lawn chair and just hang out in the pocket. He was, I thought anything but that. And it's not that Kentucky had like some seven sack game or something like that. It wasn't necessarily a repeat of 2020, but figuring out ways to confuse Will Rogers was the key in that game. And Kentucky's defense was, was everywhere. I mean, he had his worst passing game since the 2020 bowl game. He had 3.9 yards per attempt in the first half. I mean, that, that, for him with how how much he has been really clicking on all cylinders was impressive. Kentucky is is always going to have a chance with that defense. I, I believe that. They they do so well making those adjustments. They really do. Sometimes that that could be watching what Utah did in the season opener against Florida, against Anthony Richardson and then being able to make those week to week adjustments or being able to like you know watch what Arkansas did against Will Rogers and see okay we can't do that if we do Will Rogers is just going to shred us for 500 yards and we're not going to have a chance in this one and then sometimes it's within the game like when Kentucky put the clamps on the old miss run defense in the final three quarters of that game like they just have guys in the front seven doesn't matter if they have injuries Justin Rogers DeAndre Square I thought played huge parts in that and even though they they have maybe not necessarily quite the upside of of the 2018 Kentucky defense with Josh Allen. I, I just find myself being really, really impressed uh, with the way that they have responded defensively. Road team wins this matchup eight consecutive time. Jeez, man. <laughs> That's wild, man. <laughs> this game isn't like considered a rivalry game. I was like trying to look up like the rivalry stats. This is like one of the better rivalries in the SEC, I feel. Back and forth. Yeah, I mean, and Mississippi State was trying to – trying to at least put together something resembling 2014. That's the gold standard for Mississippi State seasons at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. Uh, I I came into this one saying if Mississippi State is going to have a New Year's Six Bowl type season, 
you got to win a game like this. You do. Um, and instead, they're not able to do that. I think better days are ahead for Mississippi State, but maybe not next week against a very pissed off Alabama team. Speaking of that, Connor, I wish I had known that Big Blue Madness was the night before this game because I would have taken that into account in my preview. Mm. I feel like Mark Stoops was just kind of sitting in the corner like the Kermit <laughs> meme with the hat on. He was just ready to run out like a wrestler, just be like, I better see each and every one of you guys at the football game tomorrow, which obviously, you know, I, I, I didn't know that there could be disrespect, like added disrespect for Mark Stoops, but that's always how, how this goes, right? And I was wrong about this game, hand up. I always I, thought- I was too. Uh, yeah, like I definitely thought that Mississippi State was going to come in there. And to, it, it's so, you know, we love Leach and the rush raid they put together and everything, but it's just so hot and cold. And I, I, we both believe in them so much, but it's like you have games like this game and the LSU game, and then you have games like the Arkansas game where it's like this can't be beat. Um, and, and honestly, you know, we thought they would be kind of running the ball a little bit. They only had 10 carries uh, yeah. in a game that, you know, you would hope that you could lean on that when Rodgers wasn't playing real well. They got away from it. Last year, they had three rushing touchdowns in this game. I'm not going to say they were a prolific rushing team, but they at least were able to get it across the goal line in that way. So when you become one-dimensional like that, and then to your point, it's so interesting to me that I guess C-Rod's like the perfect player for this team because he plays so angry all the time. And to your point, maybe him missing those games, Spinzone could have just taken some like reps off of the tires, and now he can just have a 30-carry yeah. game in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But but he's the perfect player for this team because somehow this offensive line cannot protect Will Levis. And they did a little bit better in this game, obviously. This is not the time to dump on the line. But, you know, over the course of the year. And yet C-Rod is out here just cruising. And it's just him. Like, it's just it's just him. There's been, like, a game where another guy's kind of gone off. I think it was Florida when they didn't have him. But Smoke it's got so, going a little bit late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smoke got going late. You know what I'm saying? Like, ice the game. But it's so it's just such a stark, like, 6.5 yards a carry on 30 carries and then like 3.3 2.3 it's like if you're Kentucky and you know that your O-line isn't to the standard that you're used to you have the perfect player for that because he just attacks everything in front of him he doesn't care whose team it's on I I, I just love C-Rod man I, yeah. I, I I I he is the exact type of player that if I'm on defense and, and I'm thinking to myself oh great I know that he's he's not just a two down back and he's going to be out there every single time and I've got to deal with that. And that's that's why there was so much frustration over the pick six that Will Levis throws where, I mean, you saw it on Levis's face too. Rich Gangarello called that play that like three of the previous four plays, I think, on that drive. And then on fourth and, what is it, fourth and one or fourth and two, and they're going for it. And instead of handing the ball off to that battering ram of a running back that you have, he throws that play and boom, Forbes, a guy who – Man, is he's just been a ball hawk since he joined the SEC. I mean, he led Mississippi State in interceptions like a true freshman a couple of years ago, and he is awesome. He is so so good. He leads the conference in interceptions again, and boom, you go from thinking maybe Kentucky's going to make this, you know, a twenty-three to ten game, a twenty-seven to ten game, and just like that, Mississippi State is back in it. Not a great um, few weeks for Rich Gangarello. Um, I'm just saying there are a few people that are calling for my doppelganger to make a return. And especially the way that things have started off with the Rams, they could um, just do a mid season trade. I think, I think both no. offenses would be better <laughs> somehow. Yeah. They're all under the same McVay Shanahan tree anyways, just, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a little, little wife swap, a little coach swap, offensive coordinator swap, something like that. It's uh, like a propane tank. You just go to the Sean McVay machine. You switch out your, your Sean McVay disciple. You just keep it rolling. Whenever I return, whenever I get my propane tank exchange, I'm always 
somewhat um, clunky with the return process. Why is that? Why I, I I'm like they're like, oh, you, sir, you can't bring that thing inside. And I'm like, look at all the flammable stuff you have in this place mm-hmm. that could blow up in an instant. And I can't bring this propane tank inside. There's they know that better than I do. But I'm always very clunky with that. They're like, yeah, you just got to leave it outside by by the area where they have the propane tanks. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, but then somebody could just take my propane tank and get a free one. Like what I'm what well, I'm trying to pay. I'm not trying to get a free one. Anyways, we've talked enough about propane tanks. You want to hear a propane t- thief story? This is the pod for you. <laughs> I just want to say real quick to fourth down, massive in this game. Kentucky four or five on fourth down. And like you said, you know, there there were massive like scoring plays on fourth down. So just want to say this is this was a matchup that every year I kind of underrate and every year I am um I disappoint myself that I do that because it's it's it it's truly and it's funny that both of these teams have games like that where it's like you know this game and so of course them playing each other is always he said road team was won eight straight times eight straight times yeah last time last time the home team won was was DAC 2014 against a oh very gosh. different Kentucky program yeah yeah crazy Arkansas BYU <laughs> KJ is so back oh yeah I, I loved it, man. Like he he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but mm-hmm. he got rolling coming off the head injury. It's almost like he and Kendall Bryle sat down and said, we're going to, we're going to change our approach. We're, mm-hmm. We need to make adjustments right now. Otherwise this season is going to get away from us and we're going to be in some real trouble. We hated how much East and West stuff there was in this offense, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that was the frustration with Arkansas is like, man, at some point, you you need to get north and south. At some point, it can't can't just be these two yard out routes that you're throwing and hoping that a receiver makes a play in the open field. And then you're looking up and it's like, all right, it's third and eight. Okay, that that's not where you want to be. You want to try and stay on schedule. I was worried about the likelihood that KJ was not going to have his legs available and that Arkansas would not get the complete KJ against the BYU team that was getting a lot of love first part of the year. We, we got the complete KJ. The play where he escaped four different BYU defenders and found Trey Knox, mm-hmm. one of the best plays I've seen all year in college football. Unbelievable. I mean, he was wrapped up two different times. And everybody on those plays is always like, oh, that's the worst tackling I've ever seen. That takes grown man strength to be able to escape what he was. He was facing the opposite part of the field, and he was totally wrapped up, and he keeps the leg drive going. KJ mm-hmm. tweeted afterwards, shout out to the strength program. He's strong. That dude Listen, is strong. If you grew up chubby, like me and KJ, you love that leg press machine. Oh. You're a big boy. You get in that leg press machine. You told everybody to stand back. So that's where, this, where those days count right here. Going full Urban Meyer. We're going to do this until something oh, pops. No. <laughs> that that documentary is going to be so good. <laughs> I can't wait. Yes. Oh, my God. It's going to be incredible. You can't teach that stuff, though, right? Like, Arkansas is not going to lose a game when KJ and Rocket combined for over 550 yards. We know that. If you had told us coming mm-hmm. into that and said, oh, by the way, Arkansas is going to finish this game with 644 yards up in Provo, and they're not going to spend all day looking at the mountains like I would, you'd say, yeah, Arkansas is winning. Disrespector, KJ Jefferson. Didn't look at those mountains. Well, I guess when he was on the sidelines, he was probably appreciating the heck out of those mountains. I would. And uh, by the way, shout out. Thank you to anybody who tweeted at me uh, pictures of, of the, the scenery. It looked incredible. John mm-hmm. Neighbor, our guy, John Neighbor, <laughs> he tweeted out he's like byu has this thing where they come the there's somebody i don't know if it's like a a specific fan that does this every single game but they come up to the visiting section of the stadium and they just hand out ice cream to them oh. like 
what, what is this? <laughs> These people. <laughs> it is unique, man. It is very, very unique. I was waiting on like, they do a chant. They do something intimidating. Like, here you go, bud. Here you go. Here you go. You want some ice cream? Be saved. Here you Book not not playing the results. Not doing that. Not at all. Right? It doesn't matter what the score is. Doesn't matter if they're up by 28. They're just handing out ice cream bars. Love that. Doing- Everybody, look. Everybody gets an ice cream, just like the old days. We love to see that. Love it. Not doing the St. Louis Cardinals thing where they're going to cheer for you if you're Albert Pujols and you hit a home run when they're up 9-1. to one. They're not just playing the results. They're not doing that. <laughs> Did I just accuse the Cardinals of doing that? Yeah, that's because that's what they do. Best fans in baseball. Best fans in sports. We are so back. We're in mid-season four right now. We're yeah. talking Cardinals, Slender, Propane, <laughs> Florida set. Let's go, bro. But big takeaway from the game. KJ working in the middle of the field. That is what he has been missing. That's that's the element of this offense. Him being comfortable in the pocket, trusting that he's going to have his receivers open in the middle of the field, being able to work those between the hashes and trust that he's going to be able to use his arm to be able to push the ball downfield. It was there. Arkansas mm-hmm. needed that so badly. And Rocket Sanders... A little bit of a slow start, then he got rolling, man. Like they he is over a thousand all-purpose yards already on a year. Had a buck 75, two scores in this one, the 64-yard touchdown that he had to kind of put the game away. Leads us to an interesting question, Will. You asked okay. me this yesterday. If it the award was handed out today, who would be the SEC offensive player of the year? Because mm-hmm. I think it's five guys. And if Will Rogers had won at Kentucky, I think he would have been part of this, but I think he's a little bit more fringe now. Mm-hmm. I think Rocket's in that conversation. I think Jameer Gibbs is in that conversation. Oh, yeah. I think Hennett Hooker. I think Bryce Young. And the guy that you brought up, which I hadn't even done the thing yet where I looked to his numbers, but I should have. How about Jalen Hyatt? Yeah. He's got 10 receiving touchdowns through six games. Helps when you have five. Helps with you have five, yeah. But that's <laughs> gosh, man. Without Cedric Tillman. Oh, without that, Cedric Tillman, too, to be able to step up and do that. I mean, I think maybe you would maybe you would disagree on this. I think I would probably go Hendon. Mm-hmm. Doing what he's done so far without Cedric Tillman for, for a handful of games now. And obviously the level of competition has been really, really high. I mean, he is. He is doing everything that Tennessee fans could have hoped for. A game in which he had his first interception, by the way, ended the third longest streak in SEC hit history, 262. Finally, make a mistake, guy. Yeah. Just make it look, the rest of us look bad. Stop being so perfect. <laughs> it's okay if you have a pimple, Hendon. All right. But even, even stuff like the sacks are way down with him. I mean, he got sacked too much last year. He's only taken nine sacks this year. I, I think Hendon would be, would be my my pick for SEC Offensive Player of the Year, which I realize is a different award than the Heisman Trophy. Who'd you go with? Um, yeah, I agree. I actually was talking about Player of the Week when I texted you. I like Player of the Year conversation oh. better. That's why I said hi, like, hi, because I was like, this guy's had a crazy week. But oh, yeah, to your it. point, To your point, though, yeah, I wouldn't put him over Hooker for the year, but I do think he's, like, right there. But point being, yeah, I think that's one of those you hate. You got to play the results as much as you hate to do it. It's like, for me, it would have been Gibbs going into that game, but after that game, it's got to be Hooker. I mean, the way that he, again, battled back from that fumble. like Because with a guy like that that doesn't commit turnovers, you always wonder if he's going to do the Peyton Manning where he's just like, like NFL Peyton Manning, where it's just like, I have my first turnover. I don't know how to play football now. And it's himself. just like, yeah. yeah, he's just like, all right, you know what? I Guess what? That was new. Let's do the old stuff again. Yeah, I I, I think Hooker has the argument. We talked about you know the, the Heisman numbers that he would need to be able to, to get to kind of join that conversation, but... 
um, and having the the 40 total touchdowns, the the fact that we every mm-hmm. single Heisman Trophy winning quarterback since Troy Smith has been able to do that. You would still think that he's going to need to be able to kind of at least have that 11 and one type season and put up some pretty big numbers. And if he's not close, if, if he's not at 40 in you know, pre Heisman, he's got to be really close to it. Um, but anyway, I think rocket is, is mm-hmm. part of that conversation. He's right there. Yeah. He, he absolutely is over a thousand scrimmage yards, just having a really, really good season. Arkansas navigated three fourths of that very tricky non-conference slate so far. Mm-hmm. Um, great way to go into the bye. When I, I think looking, looking at the remaining schedule, they have five very winnable games left if KJ and Rocket are healthy. Because even with the bad, you know, the, the bad passing defense that they have, which BYU was still able to get those chunk plays. And I thought Jaron Hall still had moments where he looked really good. You know, like, man, Arkansas can't tackle a soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think that those two will give them a chance week in, week out. So their remaining schedule at Auburn, home against Liberty. We don't sleep on who freeze. Certainly not. Home against LSU, home against Ole Miss at Mizzou. I think all those games are winnable. I do. And I'm not saying they're going to win all those games, but there's not that, oh, they're going to be a 14-point dog in this one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't... I, I've struggled with Arkansas's projection because the three-game losing streak, obviously, it, it set them back from what I had predicted in the preseason, which was New Year's Six Bowl. So I'm not willing to go back to that level and say that they're going to be 9-3, and three, not getting there. But I still think that they have a very favorable chance to be able to finish this season well. And maybe it's an eight and four regular season, get a ninth win in the bowl game like they did last year. I think that's still at least on the table for them. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things, like to your point. Um <laughs> just there, I'm trying to gotta say this. Like Catalan was such a big deal for them. And I think that, you know, that's that just goes to show you in this league that like whenever something goes a little bit wrong, it can go very wrong before you figure it out. And Hunter Yurichek with the schedule makes me laugh so hard. The fact that they played like Texas last year, this year, it's like uh Petrito, BYU, Hugh Freeze. We joked about this in the last pod. But yeah, I think Ole Miss is the only one that you could maybe see, but we we still don't know who Ole Miss is, if we're being totally honest. Ole Miss could have a different starting quarterback the second to last week of the year. Seriously, like, I'm not being mean, but if you think that Lane Kiffin is sold on Jackson Dart after that game, I don't know what to tell you, but that's the only, that's the only game that, like, you could see them maybe that line creeping up into the tens, depending on where those teams are. Just... We don't even know, like Arkansas, like we talked about, we both really like them to be second in the West this year. They obviously kind of created Ole Miss. It's like, well, they're undefeated, but how good are they? They've had like against Vandy and Auburn kind of been up and down. So I would hope that that game is back and forth, but these two teams could be in completely different places when they play. Yeah, it's still really hard to predict the West. And these teams could change a lot in a hurry. I was trying to think to myself as you were saying that. I was like, did Jeff Long set up that schedule or was that all Hunter Juracek? I don't know. These these athletic directors, I mean, they set up these games so far in advance. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I forget about that. Hunter Yurichek, who um hasn't been in that position. He he has only been in that position for what five years or something like that. Yeah, because Long was like fired. Because yeah, like- Long was fired at the end of the uh, end of the 2017 season and they got rid of Bielamo right after him mm-hmm. on the field against Mizzou. Yeah. Sure Shout out Bert. How about Bert, man? In the top 25, <laughs> no longer than Canatuna. Oh man, good for Bert. Happy for him. Okay, last game. Well, I just want to say really quick, we were talking about the offense going east and west for uh, for Arkansas. I just want to say one, two, three, four, five, six guys over 10 yards per reception. <laughs> that is going north. That's efficient. <laughs> that is, yeah. So love to see our boy KJ back. And really quick, Arkansas, uh, power five 
protector. They have now beaten two teams. They're joining the Big 12, even though yeah. they're one and one in the SEC play. So SEC keepers now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can't make those Big 12, future Big 12, better than SEC arguments, which you know who would be making those. Shout out oh, to yes. Yeah. Okay, let's end with Vandy and Georgia. Vandy's passing defense was an automatic get-right game for Georgia. And even though the third quarter wasn't great, I still think that Georgia had more good than bad in this game from the passing department, which was very important. Good mm-hmm. to see Stetson actually get some passing touchdowns. Good to see Darnell Washington continue to also, like Brock Bowers, not be a confirmed human being. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know why I've been saying this entire time that we, we, we don't know if Brock Bowers is a human being when Darnell Washington might be even less human than, than him. I mean, they got chemical X from the Powerpuff girls just chilling in that locker room as we're saying, <laughs> I, I don't get how, how he exists. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, the, the two grabs that he had in this game that were just jaw dropping the one where he makes it with one hand and just never even thinks about what the second hand could possibly do because I don't know. I'm just going to assume he's got hands that are, as big as shacks, that's just not a big deal. And he can just give this while running. I mean, he's, he's had a really, really nice year. Stetson told the AP afterwards that throwing to Washington is like throwing to the Pacific ocean. <laughs> I, love him. I haven't looked at the Pacific ocean in a minute, but I'm pretty sure Donald Washington is still bigger and scarier than the Pacific ocean. Yeah. I, I mean, might've been a slight cut to say that. <laughs> It's, yeah, um, the fact that he's come on lately is so great because we've talked about – I hate to say we've talked about everybody but him. We've talked about Delph. we talked about Eric Gilbert, who had his first uh, receptions and a touchdown as a Georgia player. Yes, Congrats to him. Pumped that he got like on track. Seriously, I've been rooting for this guy forever. That's great to see. But this is a guy that's just kind of slid under the radar, which is funny because he's massive. But he's had a couple of really nice games here. Yeah, Desmond Howard doesn't even know his name when he's breaking down <laughs> highlights in college game day. Thinks he's Eric Gilbert. Speaking of Eric Gilbert, okay. You, you hit on it. First catches in a Georgia uniform. First catches since 2020 for that guy. He gets into the end zone as well. Awesome seeing the reaction afterwards where teammates just mobbed him. And while none of us know what's going on behind closed doors, we don't, and I, we don't want to assume things. Mm-hmm. It's at least very clear that it's not as simple as, oh, the guy's dealing with a nagging ankle injury or something. Yeah. All right. There, there are things outside of the physical that are limiting him from being what he was billed as and what he flashed as a true freshman at LSU in 2020. But it was just really cool to see him have a moment like that. Yeah, I was in garbage time still. I think for for this team, they, he's not essential to what they're doing moving forward. And the snap count is still reflective of that. I think he had, what, 23 snaps total coming into this game. Hadn't played mm-hmm. since week two. But to actually see him out there and kind of have his first sort of exhale, I feel good about things since the spring game wherein he looked awesome, probably had to be a big emotional lift to, to this team. We talk about the grind of the season and what it's like for a team that's coming off of a title like Georgia and dealing with the expectations. And you need these little moments like this to kind of give you that reprieve to kind of mm-hmm. make you to, to remind you that this sport is fun and it means different things for different people. And I think sometimes you listen to Stetson speak and you're just reminded of how long he has been under this microscope and how critical all of us are of him and of what Georgia is doing. And to be able to have those moments where you see a guy who is struggling 
be able to celebrate with his teammates like that, be able to actually have this exhale and say, oh man, it finally happened. You know, it's like when everybody's it's, this isn't a fair comp, but like when you see things like that with, with, with somebody like Gilbert, you think about the manager who gets into the game and shoots a three and, and it goes in like, I'm not comparing Eric Gilbert to that, but like you see the reaction of the team of his teammates. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my point is, is what I'm trying to, to say here. And you see that some things just hit differently and mm-hmm. some things do. And with Eric Gilbert, with where he's at in his career right now, he's not a student manager. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that that's just kind of the vibe that he gave off to be able to actually do something positive to help his team. Does that make sense? hundred <clears throat> percent. Yeah. And I mean, that, that just goes to show if you're Georgia, you know, you're in this place where you're able to take on these kind of like reclamation pro- projects and it not affect you at all. Like, it's not like they're leaning on Eric Gilbert the way that LSU was. And I, I think that that's super duper cool. And, you know, if you're Georgia, the dream, right, is in the game like this, you're talking about him. You're talking about Carson Beck. You're talking about some of these guys that have gotten in that aren't part of the ones right now. So you can kind of scout your future. That's what dominant programs do, man. They just take care of these games. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's super cool. Like to your point, it's like, does it matter? Like, I think absolutely, because it shows that the guy is bought in, his teammates are bought in. And that might, I I hate to be narrative guy, but that might come in later, you know, that they have that trust in him because, you know, we talked about Tennessee, like they're going to need all hands on deck for that game. And so to get everybody pulled in the same way and to not have some, you know, people post in the locker room about trying to get off the team, trying to keep that guy happy is hard. Okay. And Kirby's doing it. So I got to give him lots of credit and those coaches, lots of credit that they've been managing a post championship Georgia team that we all thought would take a step back and they're sitting here undefeated. You know what I'm saying? First in the East. So, well, technically I don't know that they're tied with Tennessee for first in the East, but still, you know, the teams that they played in the SEC so far, four teams that they've played South Carolina, Vandy, Mizzou, Auburn. They are a combined yeah. two and eleven against SEC teams, which I know you still got the Oregon win, which that, that absolutely counts. It was also six weeks ago. It was also a game in which Georgia had eight months to prepare. Dan Lanning mm-hmm. against his former boss, first career game. Oregon has looked really good, which is going to help Georgia. Maybe if Georgia is in an eleven and one type spot or something like that, without an SEC championship to play in, if that loss to Tennessee happens, I'm not saying it will. I'm mm-hmm. just saying those are the types of things that will be discussed. It's going to get real for Georgia in November, and we're going to find out so much about this team. Florida is in October, of course, Halloween weekend, and then it's home against Tennessee at Mississippi State at Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could be one-dimensional against any of those defenses right there. Well, can you be one-dimensional against Tennessee? No. You still need to have both. I mean, you still need to be able to have balance to keep pace. Yeah, you got to score with Tennessee. Exactly. You can't just run for yeah 500 anymore. It's not sustainable. Exactly. And you can't just run all over Tennessee. I mean, the run defense is actually. It's good. good. Yeah. It is solid. Yeah. Um, So if you don't have the passing game actually figured out, that will be a problem. And Georgia will lose one of those three games in that spot. But for now, as you said, the good news, you're 7-0 going into the bye week, coming off of a year in which you won a national championship. Not an easy thing to do. Maybe start prepping for Tennessee. I would do that now. The funniest outcome would be Florida beating Georgia, wouldn't it? Funny in that chaotic is the better word, but I I don't because like I don't find humor in things in the same way that you do because I don't have the dog uh, the dog in the fight. That would blow up a lot of things for the SEC in a two team bid 
You Very see quiet. the column forming in your mind. That's why you're scared to root for this. I know. <laughs> I know. You see I, the Slack notification. We got to get a thousand words on this right now. <laughs> I know, right? I've always, that's what I'm, my mind is just always drifting to that. That's that's what's so hard at the end of some of these games mm-hmm. where like, you know, for, for those who don't know, like in addition to taking notes for, for this podcast, what I do each and every Saturday is I'm writing off of at least one game. I'll write some, you know, a thousand word column or something like that to be able to kind of dissect all right, put this into perspective. What does this actually mean? Of course, on a day like Saturday, I'm writing off of Bama, Tennessee. And I, I literally don't know what my column is going to be until that kick goes in. Mm-hmm. Because the tone and everything is entirely different if that kick is short, which I definitely thought it was in real time. <laughs> and if... Knuckle puck. <laughs> the knuckle puck kick, which is how it should always be remembered. And if... Bama wins that game. I don't know. I don't know what I'm writing about until you know the results. I I literally play the results. That that is mm-hmm. what I am asked to do in that spot and provide that sort of perspective. But yeah, I'm always thinking of the, the storylines and and all that stuff constantly. And that's what that's what we're paid to do. I, I I didn't really realize it until when we were at we were at the SEC championship a few years ago, and we were I was sitting next to Marler or something like that, and I I just talked at him about three different storylines. He's like, can you just watch the game? <laughs> and i'm like you're right you're absolutely right i need i need to just turn turn the brain off for a little bit but on a saturday like that of course storylines mm-hmm. galore tennessee beating alabama created the most chaos that we could have asked for in college football on saturday no doubt about it no doubt about so it. we're at about the halfway point right so right now um you got bama one in the west and the sec yes and you got who coming out of the east now I have Tennessee because I have Tennessee beating Georgia, mm-hmm. right? So if I have Tennessee beating Georgia, and I yeah, I guess I also had South Carolina beating Tennessee in the preseason. We don't need to talk about that. Um, yeah. But based on that, and if I still think that's going to happen, which <laughs> why would I back off that now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Georgia fans that were in your mentions talking about it was ridiculous. We could all agree it's not ridiculous at least. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I might have a little bit of fun if that happens, but again, like I'm, you know, there's a certain part of me that's like I was. I was talking about the Tennessee offense in the offseason, and it was validating to kind of see them actually do this on the big stage, and the fact mm-hmm. that they are now two and zero against their rivals to start off the year is just something that not a lot of people. I would have been laughed off the fine bomb set if I had said that, mm-hmm. and I even said that day. I'm like, they're not beating Bama. <laughs> they're not beating Bama. <laughs> so dead wrong on that one for sure. But yes, Tennessee won the day, won the weekend in college football. Speaking of Tennessee, in the midweek pod, got our good buddy Paul Feinbaum coming back. Think he's gonna have something to talk about? Maybe. Let's go. Did you see him coming out of the coffin? That's incredible. That's that's the first question. That'll be the first question. Oh, yeah. Is, uh, how did it feel to come back from the dead? What are caskets like? <laughs> I was waiting on him to go the whole nine and do that. Have you seen the meme with the guy in the flatbed truck where he starts dancing? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. But you won't. I bet you won't. Yeah, that honestly seeing Feinbaum in the Tennessee jersey, because you know, like that's the, been the meme on him forever. Oh, you're a Tennessee grad. You don't know ball. Da, da, da. The fact that he has finally like re embraced that. There have been like moments, I know, but the fact that he was just like, you know what? Let's do it. I did go to Tennessee. It. Like, cool. Yeah, leaning into it, even though he picks Bama to win national championship every single year. But, yeah, you know. Yeah. Nonetheless, he has some fun with it. So, yes, love a great midweek show as well. Lighter slate coming up in week eight, but we will still have plenty to talk about. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.